This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here for another episode of the Prospect Podcast. We're going to have to delay the conclusion of the quarterback conversation series until early next week. Maybe we'll squeeze it in tomorrow uh, because Matt Collar has a lot going on with the start of free agency. The Vikings are cutting their kicker and a lot of things are about to happen um, on the free agent front. Matt's got a bunch of podcasts and articles to write over at Purple Insider and purpleinsider.com. Subscribe to that podcast if you're a Vikings fan and want daily Vikings insight. That's, I think, the best on the internet. And subscribe uh, to his website as well, Purple Insider. So what I'm going to do, and this is a perfect opportunity. Matt reached out to me and said, wasn't going to be able to record uh, last night. And what I love to do, well, I guess I'm going to start to say that I love to do this. What I did last year at the first season of the Prospect Podcast, I took Daniel Jeremiah's draft conference call and I asked myself, all the questions that he got asked and gave my own answer. So I'm going to do that again. Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network did his conference call earlier this week, and I'm just going to run through each question, read from the transcript what was asked. Maybe I'll paraphrase a little bit because some of the questions are a little bit lengthy, and then just give my own opinions. Uh, So just to kind of run through the conference call as if I was doing the conference call. That, I guess, would be one of my goals, to actually host a conference call at some point where a bunch of beat reporters ask me questions about the draft. Anyway, okay, question number one. Let's get going. Uh, The first question was about Kenny Galladay. So with him hitting the free agent market, would firmly put wide receiver in the mix at number seven for them. If I was running the Lions, which receiver would you hope to land there or be targeting? And then if you could give me a word on Micah Parsons and what you'll think he'll be in the NFL. The wide receiver um, that I would be targeting if I was the Detroit Lions would be my number one wide receiver, Jalen Waddell. I think there's a good chance that Jamar Chase is still the first wide receiver off the board. Uh, it could be Devonta Smith at number three overall uh, to the Miami Dolphins because of the Tua Tungavailoa connection. So if I'm Brad Holmes, their new GM, I'm praying that Jalen Waddell is there at number seven. I would be happy with any of the other two. Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith, but I would be targeting Jalen Waddle because of his traits that to me are superior and fit better in today's NFL than Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith. And Micah Parsons, uh, he's my number two off-ball linebacker behind Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa from Notre Dame. They're completely different players. They're both very athletic, but with Micah Parsons, what you get is NFL size already. He's like 6'3", 240. Pretty rangy. I don't think he's like Devin White fast, like low four fours, um, but I think he's plenty fast enough to get sideline to sideline. And then he gives you like incredible pass rush ability and not just as a blitzer because he's so hulking and he's big, 
but he can put his hand in the dirt and beat defensive ends with a dip, with a inside crossover move, with handwork that makes him look like an edge rusher prospect in those situations. And being that he is so big and so twitchy and so athletic, uh, he certainly can give you a lot as a pass rusher. I don't know how amazing he is in coverage right now. We just didn't see a lot of that from him at Penn State. But he is a premier prospect in this class. I believe I have him inside my top 25. I'm not quite as high on him because of the lack of experience and playmaking and coverage. But in terms of a prototype, and I was just talking about traits with Jalen Waddell, uh, Micah Parsons is certainly the type of linebacker prospect that I think fits in today's NFL and teams will target relatively early. I would be surprised if he's there um, you know, outside of the top half of the first round. Next question, question two, am I surprised that the Lions are not tagging Kenny Galladay and does the strength of the receiver class play into it? I'm a little surprised, but I do think that's what their new GM, that's his line of thinking, that he has no ties to Kenny Galladay. He knows how good of a receiver he is, but the tag is a lot of money. Uh, They're kind of in this rebuilding phase, even though they do have Jared Goff, but they got those extra picks in the Goff deal or the Matthew Stafford deal. And yeah, you can replace some of the production that you got from Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones and Danny Amendola in this wide receiver class and even in free agency. So that's probably what went into it. Next question. Question three, Kyle Pitts, what makes him such a special player? And I know you had him going to the Eagles in your last mock draft, which I didn't have it in my last mock, but I put him there at number six overall. Why would that make sense for him? And my answer I think he's the best tight end prospect that we've seen in at least a decade. And I know there was a lot in 2017 of hype for OJ Howard because of his three down ability that he was a good blocker at Alabama. But what Kyle Pitts can do as a nuanced route runner, changing speeds, head fakes, swimming past chip attempts at the line of scrimmage. um, And then his catch radius being as big as it is, how fast he is, how he's a horse to bring to the turf after the catch and does have some athleticism, uh, some agility to make defenders miss after the catch. I think he is one of, he's my number seven overall player. I'll say this three quarterbacks, in my top three, then the three receivers, not Penny Sewell next, not Micah Parsons next, not Patrick Sertan, Kyle Pitts. He's my number seven overall player in this class. I think he's going to be an instant superstar. Uh, let's see. Next question. Question number, I believe four. Wanted to ask about the three quarterbacks in this draft, one from last year's draft class, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Jalen Hurts. Of those three, who right now do you feel has the highest ceiling? That's a really good question. I'm assuming it's an Eagles-centric question because of Jalen Hurts being inserted there. The order in which I would go, Trey Lance number one, Justin Fields number two, Jalen Hurts number three. In terms of ceiling. Justin Fields is a little bit more of a finished product than Trey Lance is right now. He's played more football, has a great skill set, a high-level skill set, athleticism, great arm, very accurate. Um, So thinking about it, I think Fields could maybe have a case to be the quarterback of those three with the highest ceiling. But with Trey Lance, why I initially went with him at number one, that he just has a howitzer for an arm, and he is a natural and explosive runner. So I... I think those two are in their own category. Jalen Hurts, we know he can run. His arm strength isn't great. I think he still has a ways to go as a passer, and he's still entering, and he is entering year two. 
so I think Trey Lance has just strictly the highest ceiling. Not saying he is right now the best quarterback of those three, but he has the highest ceiling of those three. All right, next question, question five. To stay on the quarterback topic, um, I know you said you've struggled getting through Mac Jones tape to, to get a full sense of it, but what is about his limitations in today's games that has given you pause or tripping you up at times? It's the low-hanging fruit with Mac Jones. He doesn't have a strong arm, and he's a low-level athlete for the position in terms of modern-day standards for the quarterback spot. He's accurate. I think for the most part, he knows where to go with the football, although with Jalen Waddell and last year Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy and Devontae Smith, he and even Najee Harris, who's a fantastic receiving running back, he didn't really have to get off his first read a lot. I like the fact that he knows how to drift in the pocket away from pressure. Is he going to ad-lib at all? Is he going to be able to drift as well in the NFL away from a defensive tackle or an edge rusher or a blitzing linebacker? No. So, I mean, I guess Daniel Jeremiah wasn't able to get a full sense of it. I've gotten a pretty full sense. Um, and that's not to say that I'm absolutely positive that Mac Jones isn't going to be a great NFL quarterback, but I know what he is at this point. It is a uh, quick passing downfield touch type of quarterback, certainly inside the pocket. Uh, that's just who he is at this point. He's I believe my number 28 overall prospect. I think landing at number 28 to the saints would be an ideal scenario for him. Uh, and then he got a question about Naquan Jones, uh, the defensive tackle from Michigan state. Um, he's big, he's three thirty. Daniel Jeremiah pointed that out. Uh, I think he's kind of a throwback guy. Um, he's not super quick. The balance isn't great, but at that size, 330, 6'2", 6'3", he's going to eat blockers. I think later in the draft, 6th, 7th round is where you're probably um, going to see him ultimately drafted. I don't know how much upside he has because he's a better run defender than anything else. Uh, okay, next question, question 7. Just wanted to ask you about what you see as the Rams' biggest need. Obviously... They don't have a first-round pick, but we saw with Cam Akers last year they can find impact players in the second round. What do you see as their biggest needs, and based on the guys who are just inside or just outside your top 50, who might they be able to get there at number 57 overall? Although Leonard Floyd uh, did play pretty well last season, kind of had a breakout year after being really a bust in Chicago after going in the first round in 2016, I believe he had double-digit sacks this year. They probably need more, like another presence on the edge. Um, I don't think it would hurt for them to look at the offensive line as well. Um, and if we're staying on the edge, I think um, a guy who's really interesting to me is Houston edge rusher Peyton Turner, like 6'6", 270. That's what he's listed at. You see some twitch to his game. He's not crazy explosive carrying that much weight and that much size. Um, but uses his hands very well and he's very strong. He gave Brady Christensen from uh, BYU a heck of a time in that game early in the season, um, just rushing off the edge with that combination of burst, short area quickness, burst, and power. So I think Peyton Turner would be a really interesting guy. Offensive tackle um, and just having the best protection around Matthew Stafford I think is critical. Uh, at 57, I think someone like Jackson Carmen from Clemson protected the blind side for Trevor Lawrence over the past two seasons, like 6'5", 335. He's a power blocker, effortless, 
in terms of moving people in the run game and his anchor is very good. Is he the quickest? No. And I think that's why we're not hearing about him as a lockdown first round pick. Um, but I think he would make a lot of sense. Um, even for what Sean McVay likes to do that he likes those moving offensive linemen, I think for six, four, three thirty-five, Jackson Carmen is a good athlete. One other player I'll throw out there too, that might be a better fit at the offensive tackle spot. Um, James Hudson of Cincinnati. He's a little more raw. He was a former defensive tackle that transitioned to offensive tackle and he plays like it. He's very aggressive, wants to quick set a lot. That means he's not kick sliding vertically in pass protection, but very powerful, can create a lot of torque. Uh, and certainly as an athlete, he fires out of his stance and can sustain that speed throughout the play. Maybe 57 would be a little bit early for him, but edge rusher and offensive tackle, I think, make a lot of sense um, for the Rams, given some of the ages of some of the blockers up front, and you want to really create a good environment that's conducive to success for Matthew Stafford as you kind of try to make a run um, to – which I'm just reading the transcript and he actually said Peyton Turner too, which I did not totally did not think that that was the case. I hadn't read any of Daniel Jeremiah's answers um, that, yeah, that I think the Rams are obviously trying to make a run into Super Bowl with Matthew Stafford. So give him as good blockers as possible. Uh, okay. Back to another Eagles question for question number eight. If you were the Eagles, you're on the clock at six. Uh and you've mentioned all the players, Pitts, Jalen Waddle, Jamar Chase, and Smith would probably be, for whatever reason, uh, let me see if they're saying that they're all off the board. Um, who would you take in that position? So the question was, are, if Pitts, Jalen Waddle, Jamar Chase, and Devontae Smith are all available for the Eagles, who would you pick? Hmm. I think, I mean, I have Jalen Waddle at number four overall on my board, and Kyle Pitts at number seven. So just strictly on my universal board, it's not an Eagle centric board. Of course um, I would go Jalen Waddle, but I think with like Jalen hurts to give him a uh, security blanket that can also stretch the seam in Kyle Pitts, I would be completely fine with that. Um, and then the follow-up question is if Pitts isn't there, who's your pick? It would be Jalen Waddle. And if Jalen Waddle was not there, I would go Jamar chase. He's my number two wide receiver reminds me of like, AJ Brown 2.0, maybe even a little bit of a Chris Godwin type that he's just good in every area. He's a monster after the catch, not because of his agility, but because he's so difficult to bring to the turf. We know what he gives you um, in contested catch situations. Fantastic. there. not an amazing route runner, but I think in today's NFL with a lot of RPOs, um, you can scheme open wide receivers. You want Jamar chase on your team. Next question. Um, was a question about the 49ers and Trent Williams um, because like the actual question was in your latest mock, you have the 49ers going with offensive tackle as an insurance policy with Trent Williams status yet to be determined. We know corner is an immediate need. Say the 49ers do go O-line at pick 12, who are some of the non first round corners who you may be looking for. And I think in a couple of my mock drafts, I've had the 49ers going offensive tackle with Sean Slater, Christian Darasaw. Uh, so I guess this could kind of apply as well. So second round corners to me, Tyson Campbell would be a fantastic fit. Uh, he might go in the first round, but if you want to replace Richard Sherman right off the bat to get another long, very cerebral, smart corner, I think Tyson Campbell is, is a little bit um, better suited to play in man than Richard Sherman was. Richard Sherman was fantastic in that cover three 
system in Seattle. And I think, uh, you know, reading route concepts, the quarterback's eyes, understanding where he needed to be, when he could break out of his zone to make a play, uh, if he was on the boundary, if there was a deep crosser that he could recognize that deep crosser and get to it. Tyson Campbell's more of a man guy, uh, but I think Tyson Campbell, just with his length and his athleticism and his speed, would make a lot of sense. Um, and then Kelvin Joseph from Kentucky for another second rounder, similar type of guy, six foot over 200 pounds, right at 200 pounds, uh, pretty loose hips, got a good extra gear, uh, to recover down the field or plant and drive on underneath throw. There's been some buzz for the first round. I think he'll probably go in the second, but those are two like outside corners that are a little bigger that if the 49ers love what they got from Richard Sherman over the past couple of seasons, could replace him with a similar type stylistically Tyson Campbell um, and Kelvin Joseph from Kentucky, who actually transferred uh, there and played w- one season and had four interceptions last year. Question number nine, I believe looking at Caleb Farley and Patrick Sertan, how do you compare their two skill sets? I'll be quick with this. Caleb Farley is a much better prospect to me. He's more athletic, plays the football better in the air. Patrick Sertan Press man coverage, mirroring down the field, I think is very good right now. Is he going to be able to mirror Stefan Diggs and Devontae Adams and DeAndre Hopkins and Julio Jones? I don't think so. I don't think he's a great athlete for being a bigger corner. He's a better prospect than Trevon Diggs was. Uh, and really, Trevon Diggs was all about just beating you up at the line. Uh, and I think he even could find the football a little bit better than Patrick Sertan. I would pick Caleb Farley over Patrick Sertan every day of the week. Next question. Why is Joe Tryon a good fit with the Browns at 26? And is that edge position in your eyes the biggest need for their defense? I think that would be too early for Joe Tryon at number 26 overall. Watching his film, he's like 6'5", 260. He has an NFL defensive end body right now. He's very linear. He can win with speed around the edge, but I did not see um, a lot of agility to work back to the inside. He does like an inside move, but it's not super effective. And his pass rushing moves aren't that developed yet. He's a good bull rusher. Everything is about speed around the edge and his outside rush. So I think if you're picking an edge rusher, especially in this class, that I think is very deep. You want someone who is um, more refined with their hands. And I think Joe Tryon is wins with the speed that he has at his size, the bull rush ability. Um, and that's kind of it at this point. So I, I don't know if I would pick him that early if I were the Browns, but I do think that's probably their biggest need. I think their offense is in good shape. Sneaky wide receiver is a need. I think with Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, both hitting uh, the age 30, I think they could add another weapon, especially if they don't big bring back Richard Higgins in free agency, but they do have the tight ends. We know they have great running back tandem to me, the best running back tandem in the NFL with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, the offensive line is set. So someone opposite Miles Garrett makes the most sense. Um, if I were the Browns at number 26 overall, I wouldn't necessarily go Joe Tryon. I think um, Joseph Osai from Texas, Eddie Ogundeji from Notre Dame, uh, two players that are a little more athletic and are better with their hands than Joe Tryon right now. Even if Jason Owe, who I'm a little shaky on, he's graded relatively high for me, um, but is a and is apparently a freak of an athlete. I don't know if he's put it all together yet. We did see the pass rushing moves increase and get a little better this season, but they're still not first round caliber. His skill set certainly is, but he would make more sense to me. I think Joe Tryon is more of a uh, 
cemented like second rounder than someone I would pick at 26, but that is the biggest need for the Browns. Next question. Looking at what Tristan Wirfs did, including the Super Bowl, and this question says including the Super Bowl tournament, which I don't, maybe this is someone from a different country. I don't know. Um, is there something like that that you could go into this year being a very helpful player? Um, and that's, and then Daniel Jeremiah said on the offensive liners, any position. And the question was, yeah, anywhere, um, a difference maker rookies aren't supposed to be able to do that, but I think he did. Um, I mean, this, this question is a little bit generic. Um, yeah, there's going to be rookies that can be difference makers. I mean, Tristan Wirfs was fantastic, had an all pro caliber season to me at right tackle. And a, a lot of the people online that study offensive line taper, like this guy was an all pro. Um, yeah, there's going to be players this year that are, um, going to be very impactful and a true difference maker, um, just based on their film and their athleticism to say like, who is that guy going to be? I mean, there's going to be a lot. So that would be way too long of a, of a podcast. Next question. Is there a team that sounds like, um, it looks like he was talking about Jamin Davis, um, that would be a good fit for him. Do you see any teams sort of honing in on him? I think Jamin Davis is probably going to go somewhere early second round. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah would not be surprised if he goes in the back end of the first. He's six, four, he's two thirty-five. He's pretty twitchy for being an off ball linebacker. And there's not a lot of hesitation to his game. And then in coverage, he played zone a lot, but the few times that they asked him to play man, he was running, with like Kyle Pitts down the field on a few occasions, um, got his hands on the football quite often. I think he does have legitimate three down ability. And that third down ability is not as a pass rusher. It is in um, coverage. So yeah, I think a lot of teams, I don't know if there's one team that could, will hone in on him that I could single out right now. Um, but a lot of teams are going to be interested in Jamin Davis because of the size, athleticism range, and that he's just, made plays and is comfortable sinking in coverage. Um, next question, just touching on a couple of things you said from earlier. I'm wondering what the opt outs and the traditional data from the combine. Um, do you think the draft is going to be a bit of a mystery? I know the spring is going to be mysterious, but the draft will be throwing us some curves. I think there will be um, just because I think mostly later in the draft, like fifth, sixth, seventh round, there's going to be some players that we maybe have not, not necessarily heard of or talked about a lot that are on the radars for teams because of their pro days or just kind of been kept hush hush because we didn't have a combine and didn't get to see them there. Um, and I think overall it's, especially at some positions, the boards will be a little bit more like there'll be a bigger disparity between like say the tight end board or the off ball linebacker board, because we didn't get the combine and we're not able to compare all of these players. And then how do you factor in the opt outs? Maybe some teams, don't like the fact that those players haven't been playing. And some teams might say, Hey, you're well rested and you've been training. We like that. We're going to bump you up our board. Uh, so that will really be the biggest. Um, those two things I think will be the biggest mysteries come draft night and then draft weekend. Uh, next question. I know you mentioned another deep wide receiver class in the offensive line group. I'm wondering about the defense in this draft class. Uh, the three down linebackers, nickelbacks, maybe a defensive tackle who can rush the passer. Where does this, year stack up do you think um it's not a good defensive tackle class and again looking at daniel jeremiah's answer here he said it's one of the worst defensive tackle groups that we've had in the last decade i agree uh 
I have Levi Anwazirke from Washington as my top defensive tackle, and he's outside of the first round. And then Christian Barmore, like right behind him. There's Davion Nixon from Iowa, uh, but he's a little uh, stiff, short, needs a little bit more length, not a lot of power to his game. Um, I, I do not think it's a good defensive tackle class. Um, the three down linebackers, there's a bunch. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, my number one offensive or off-ball linebacker. Micah Parsons, Zayvon Collins, uh, Justin Hilliard from Ohio State. I think he's probably the most underrated off-ball linebacker in this class. Legit three-down player. There's Chaz Surratt from North Carolina, who's just reckless, plays with reckless abandon, but a very good athlete, a former quarterback. Uh, Nick Bolton from Missouri, smaller, stocky, but very instinctive. Traditional middle linebacker, but made some plays in coverage as well. Justin Hilliard's um, teammate at Ohio State, Baron Browning, a former big recruit that really came into his own his final season. Looks like an NFL linebacker already size-wise and very good athleticism. And then there's Jabril Cox, who uh, was at North Dakota State, transferred to LSU, and really excelled in coverage this past season. Not like a lot of authority to his game, but I think teams are going to like the fact that he's very smooth, running with backs, running with tight ends down the field. Uh, next question. Oh, I guess, let's see. There was something else in here. Was there middle nickel corners? Yeah. I think there's a lot of good nickel corners in this class. It's, it's, um, much better than the defensive tackle class. And it's gotten to be a position in college and in the NFL that is a starting position. I think Elijah Molden from Washington, um, kind of fits the mold of, a lot of these versatile defensive backs that we've seen come out of Washington recently. The end of my scouting report, I wrote, just think Buda Baker, but he's not as fast as Buda Baker. He does everything in kind of that robber role, plays slot corner, pretty good run defender, despite being a little smaller. Um, I think Aaron Robinson from Central Florida, super twitchy, very fast, uh, can probably play on the outside, but he's a little shorter. He doesn't have supreme length. I love Thomas Graham from Oregon. I think there's not any buzz for him, so he's probably going to get picked later, but I think he will definitely outplay his draft position. Tons of ball production at Oregon, opted out this past season, but always around the football, man zone, outside, inside, didn't matter. Um, Those three I really, really like at the slot corner spot. Uh, And I think, yeah, corner, it's another pretty good class. Uh, Let's see, keep going here. Next question, in New England, obviously the big question mark is the quarterback. Everything starts there. I was just wondering about your perspective. Uh, who do you think the best quarterback fit for the Patriots is in this draft? Um, it's tough because it's hard to understand where the Patriots want to go with their quarterback position. They went from Tom Brady to Cam Newton, and their styles couldn't be any different. And we know that after like one or two games in September, Cam Newton was not the answer. And, and no, he was not Cam Newton of 2015 or 2016. His skills have kind of deteriorated as he's gotten older and gotten injured. So we know that Bill Belichick likes to evolve. So is he going to be into someone like Trey Lance and and want to you know hand over the keys to Josh McDaniels on offense and say, hey, let's do some of this college stuff and let's do more RPOs and let's do designed running like we did early with Cam Newton or would someone like Mac Jones be the guy like, Hey, let's go back to a stoic pocket passer um, or Kellen Mond from Texas A&M that can kind of give you a little bit of both. So those three guys, depending on where the Patriots want to go and certainly Bill Belichick's not going to let us know about that. um, I think would make the most sense if they want to go, you know, more progressive than 
Trey Lance would make a lot of sense if they want to go more old school and what worked for them for 20 years, that style, not that certainly Mac Jones is not going to be guarantee them to be the next Tom Brady. Then I think Mac Jones, I think Kellen Mond low key, maybe Felipe Franks in the probably third day, uh, third, fourth round, or if not later, um, because he has a big arm, he's good in the pocket, can move a little bit. Uh, so those quarterbacks I think would be the best fit for new England, but it's just hard to tell because we don't really know what the Patriots want to do at this point. Um, how far of a move would they have to make up to 15 to get someone like Trey Lance? They would have to move inside the top 10. Uh, we know that Bill Belichick mostly likes to trade back, but I don't think he's afraid to trade up. And they're kind of in a situation where they need a quarterback. I think they're still going to just trade for Jimmy Garoppolo and they're going to get him at a reduction from what they, um, when they traded him to the 49ers a few years ago, but if not, yeah, they would have to probably trade inside the top 10. I think with Carolina sitting there inside the top 10, um, Denver as well, they're probably going to be pretty interested in Trey Lance, even if he has a red shirt season. So maybe, um, up to number seven overall, somewhere in that range to get Trey Lance Uh question about Elijah Vera Tucker. Um, they wanted to know how he's progressed and how as his evaluation process has gone on and what is the advisability about taking a guard in the first round. Um, I don't have this thought that you can't take a guard in the first round. I think that's an old school thought. I think guards are pretty important and the offensive line. And I said it in the last episode being a weak link system that you can have four really good offensive linemen. And you have, if you have one bad offensive lineman, your whole unit can look pretty bad and it can cause a lot of disasters for your offense. So if you like a guard, that's fine. Is every guard going to be Quentin Nelson because you pick him in the top 10? No. Elijah Vera Tucker is a Supreme athlete for the guard spot. We saw that just based on the fact that he went from guard to left tackle this season at USC. And he played very well um, for the Trojans. I, think he needs to get a little better with his hands, a little stronger, but in terms of his balance and his footwork, he is a first round guard all the way. I think he's more of a guard than Rashawn Slater. There's some thought that he could play anywhere. might be inside. I think Rashawn Slater is a tackle plug Elijah Vera Tucker in at guard. If you need him to play tackle, he probably could. He's not crazy long and crazy powerful. Uh, but I think, yeah, when I watched him, even over the summer, I was like, man, this is a first round pass blocking specialist at guard. And then he plays left tackle and he is fantastic for the Trojans. Uh, last year, there were a lot of left tackles who were plug and play guys that helped at high level. Who uh, This year's class, who's the top guy? Um, that's, I don't really understand what that question is. Um, this year's class, who's the top guy? Uh, it's, it's still Penny Sewell. I'm not as high on him as the masses. Um, he is my number eight overall prospect. I think there's some times where he gets a little over aggressive where it's almost like he trusts his athleticism a little bit too much and tries to be the aggressor when he should just be more patient, whether that be at the second level or in pass protection. But what he was doing at 19 years old at like six, five, three forty was just unbelievable. He looks like a, a zone block scheme center. In terms of his movement skills, very powerful. After that, I actually have Christian Darasaw. Um, I don't know why he's not being viewed as a, a more marquee prospect, but whatever, that's fine. Um, Rashawn Slater's up there. Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State. I think it will be another class that we see a lot of tackles go early and that can play right away. 
and try to speed this up because I'm seeing there's a ton of questions. I remember last year, this podcast was super long. Um, I know you've talked a little bit about the draft pertaining to the New York Jets. What stands out to you about the, the options the Jets have at the top of the draft? And more specifically, what areas can Joe Douglas attack in this draft with the five picks in those first three rounds? You got to start with quarterback at, at number two overall. No Sam Darnold stuff. Trade him. He's done. In New York, the ship has sailed. No fifth-year option, nothing like that. So you got to go Zach Wilson, maybe Justin Fields, but I would say you know Zach Wilson at, at number two overall. He's my number two overall player, just ahead of Justin Fields. After that, I think you need to get in playmakers. Regardless of what the situation is with Jamison Crowder, with Rashad Perriman being a free agent, and with Denzel Mims coming into year two, you can maybe be – a little bit high on him, but you've got to get Zach Wilson playmakers. I think more offensive line with some of those early picks would make a lot of sense. Makai Becton played pretty well as a rookie. Um, we know he's a great run def- a run blocker, and he did fare relatively well as a pass blocker. I don't think he was as good as kind of the national narrative before he got injured as a pass blocker, uh, but he is your foundation at the left tackle spot. The rest of the offensive line needs a lot of work, so I would just really try to shore up the offensive play uh, positions that are really important. And then edge rusher, they need a better edge rush, uh, a a better pass rush in general. If there is, I'm kind of leaning toward an edge rusher because to say, Oh, just get a um, pass rushing defensive tackle. That would work. I don't think there's really one that would be worth picking super early. I mean, if Christian Barmore fell, I'd be fine with that, but I think they need that premium position at the edge rusher spot. Uh, all right. Next question. Um, with the top quarterbacks, Fields and Wilson, I'm hearing a lot of discrepancies between those two. How are you evaluating Fields and Wilson? Again, I'm going to be a little quicker now. With Fields, you get a Deshaun Watson type who's going to hold the ball, great accuracy down the field, great escapability under pressure. Is he a deft pocket mover? No. With Zach Wilson, you get a point guard. You get someone that is going to release the football in a hurry that is going to make some crazy throws off platform that are going to get there that can crank up the arm strength when he needs to through tight windows and is still looking to be a passer when he's improvising. Justin Fields turns to his legs a little bit quicker and he's effective with those. So those are the two main differences that I see between Justin Fields and Zach Wilson. Can you expound on the Trey Lance, Steve McNair comparison and what reminds you of Steve that you see in Lance? Uh, just that they're both supreme athletes. When Steve McNair was coming into the NFL in the early nineties, believe 94 out of Alcorn state, like he was a high level athlete for the quarterback position and had a bazooka for an arm. That's Trey Lance. And that's really where the comparison is. I don't know if Steve McNair was like an amazing pocket passer when he started his NFL career, he got to be pretty good in the pocket. And I think that is a hope for Trey Lance once he gets to the NFL. Next question. The Colts obviously have a big hole to fill with Anthony Costanzo retiring, wondering if at 21, you see a tackle that could drop right in and start from day one. I was just on the Colts websites podcast uh, with Matt Taylor earlier this week, and they asked me the same question. Uh, Yeah, I think Christian Darasaw from Virginia Tech would be a home run pick for them. Uh, He's big, he's powerful, he's athletic, very balanced, great pass protector, a little bit flying under the radar. So if Penny Sewell... And if um, Rashawn Slater, and if you want to call him a tackle, Elijah Vera Tucker are gone at 21. Christian Darasaw would be a fantastic fit. Um, Tevin Jenkins played right tackle. So I don't know if you do want to make him go from right tackle to left tackle. 
The Browns did it with Jedrick Wills with great success, going from right tackle at Alabama to left tackle in Cleveland this past season. Uh, those two would make a lot of sense to me for the Colts at number 21. Uh, next question. You were talking about the differences in this draft with all the things that we don't know, looking at all the stuff, lack of medicals, measurements you can trust from the combine. Some guys didn't play. You weren't able to nose around on campus and find out stuff about players you normally would. What's the biggest thing in uh, talking to scouts and personnel this year? What's the biggest obstacle? I think a lot that's outlined in that question, that it's a, it was uh, to not have that standard environment for everyone at the combine. We're going to have to kind of grade on a curve for these pro days. Um, so that's probably the most difficult. And a few people that I have talked to have said like that, that's how they're doing it. They're going to say, okay, we see four, three, one, and we're going to say that's four, four, one, uh, for a 40 yard dash for a prospect at his respective pro day. Um, but I still think scouts and teams have been able to contact, you know, a college coach or an assistant or a position coach, talk to them just through zoom. Like we've done all of our communicating the past year to find out more about these prospects. Uh, next question, in terms of the cornerback, you talked about a couple you'd want in the first couple rounds. Within those guys in the first two rounds, is there any kind of point of separation between Fairley and Sertan? And then the next tier with J.C. Horn, are they pretty balanced in terms of where are they going in the first couple rounds? I don't really see it as much with J.C. Horn. I think he is a good prospect. I He's sounds like he's going to go in the first round. I would not pick him there. I think he was so sticky in man because he was super grabby. I don't know if he's like a high level athlete and has high level speed to be this lockdown, like press man corner. I think you have to be on another planet to come in as a rookie and be really good in man to man coverage right away in the NFL. I mean, ask Jeffrey Akuda. He had the tape. He tested through the roof. He was crazy long and he had a terrible disastrous rookie season. Uh, I think Asante Samuel is the second best corner in this class played on the outside at, at a nickel cornerback size, super twitchy can follow those quick separators because of his athleticism plays the football tenaciously a lot. Like his dad uh, was always around the football. So I, I think there's not that big of a tier. I think Caleb Farley is the best corner. And then really a couple of other first rounders, Asante Samuel, I do think Patrick Sertan is worth a first-round pick. Afitu Malafanwu from Syracuse, I love his film. I think at 6'3 and over 200 pounds with long arms, his athleticism will allow him to be able to stay with wide receivers a little bit more than you would think um, being that size. Most players that are 6'3", 6'4", playing the cornerback spot uh, aren't super agile. I think uh, Malafanwu is. Uh, so, no, I don't think there's a huge break off. It's going to seem like that on draft night because Caleb Farley and Patrick Sertan are probably going to be picked relatively early. And then JC Horn, I don't think there's that big of a drop off. Um, and I, I just don't think that JC Horn is, is really um, as good as where he'll ultimately be picked. Next question with the Steelers at 24 going running back. Do you think there's any way that uh, Najee Harris drops to them? If not, what offensive lineman are you looking for at 24? Uh, yeah, I think, um, all the running backs will probably be there at number 24 overall. And I don't know how the Steelers feel about Le'Veon Bell after everything that transpired. I have compared Najee Harris to in his prime Le'Veon Bell for a long time now. That, that similar size, receiving ability, cutting skills at that size, vision, effortless power, contact balance. Is that what the Steelers need right now? Probably not. But I, I will say I, I do lean, even in my mock drafts and 
definitely on my big board because of my position addition that I don't have for running backs. I always have running backs lower. Like I, I, I could go through a first round easily and say, the Steelers don't need a running back. They could pick one in the second or third or fourth round and be fine. Uh, but the run game was pretty non-existent. Uh, Travis Etienne will probably be there. Javante Williams from North Carolina will definitely be there. Um, an offensive lineman for them at 24. A lot of the guys are just outlined. I don't know if there is a slam dunk offensive guard. It's not a great guard class. Um, but offensive Darasa, Rashawn Slater, if he drops, uh, Tevin Jenkins, I really like his game. Very technically sound. Reminds me a lot of Ryan Ramchak from the New Orleans Saints. It didn't get a lot of publicity. He was just kind of this run-of-the-mill Wisconsin offensive lineman, but did everything well, was very balanced. His handwork was great. That's Tevin Jenkins to me. So any of those players, I think, would make a lot of sense. One other guy I'll, I'll throw in that I um, have mocked to the Steelers a lot at 24, Alex Leatherwood. His versatility, he played guard, right guard earlier in his career at Alabama, and then the last two years, locked down the left tackle position. Not a crazy athlete, not crazy powerful, but good enough in those areas and just has pretty clean film all the way through. The last two seasons, not a lot of whiffs, not a lot of bad reps on film. I think he would make a lot of sense, especially because if they needed to, they could play him at guard initially and then go from there. Uh, question about the Falcons. If they happen to trade back and give up that number four spot for someone who wants a corner, who would be... Some of the players, given Terry Fontenot coming out of uh, saying that they're going to do the best player available in this draft, and can Slater or Penny Sewell play guard? Uh, yeah, I think Slater and Penny Sewell could both play guard. I don't think you necessarily would draft them to play them there. I mean, if the 49ers pick Rashawn Slater and they sign Trent Williams, that could be a situation, especially with having Mike McGlinchey at right tackle. But I think their best positions – and why most teams will draft either of those two is to play tackle, of course. Um, but back to the Falcons, if they trade back, um, edge rusher, I think would make a lot of sense. Maybe Quiddy Pay if they move way back. I love Aziz Ojulari from Georgia. They could stay right with the local kid. Um, he's probably going to go later because he's a little smaller, but I think he is crazy explosive. 6'3", uh, 240 pounds, crazy explosive. Great inside move, good pass rushing moves, convert speed to power. I think he's going to be the best edge rusher in this draft class. So I think probably defense, or maybe if they just trade back, they could see Caleb Farley go or Patrick Sertan go and then just pick the number two corner. Um, I don't think offense is out of the question. In my last mock, I had them picking Jamar Chase just to be like, hey, Julio Jones was injured. He's getting up there in age. We have a offensive-minded, quarterback-friendly head coach in Arthur Smith. Jamar Chase is pretty similar to A.J. Brown. Let's just run it with Jamar Chase, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley and Hayden Hurst out there on offense and try to win a lot more games than we did. I, I think that would move the needle more than any other spot for them as wide receiver, especially if they traded back. With all the guys who sat out last season, is Gregory Rousseau the biggest guy who hurt himself by doing it? Uh, we'll have to wait until the draft. That's what Daniel Jeremiah said. I agree with that as well. Um I think he's still going to go early, but I will answer that by saying more definitively that he did hurt himself because I, I got it at the time, 15 and a half sacks. But when you watch his film, a lot of them were coverage sacks on stunts in terms of his technical side of the game. He is not a first round pick whatsoever. He's tall. He apparently weighs 265. I didn't look like he was 265 on film and there was not a ton of power to his game. Good explosion, but not a lot of lateral agility. 
So I think um, if Rousseau would have gone back, even if he didn't have 15 and a half sacks uh, and had 10 sacks, but looked better in one-on-one situations, he could have not only solidified himself inside like the top 15 or top 10, but just set himself up to be a better pro. So many of these pre-draft questions are centered around how high can a guy get picked? That's the ultimate goal. I mean, it is. You want to get as much money on that rookie deal, and you can always say you were a top 10 or a first round or a second round pick. But how about sustainability once you're into the NFL? I think Gregory Rousseau is in for a steep learning curve once he gets drafted. Um, someone asked, I wanted to ask you about the process, not the prospects. You've worked with NFL teams. Well, I'll skip that question because it's all about Daniel Jeremiah working for NFL teams. I have never worked for an NFL team, so I'll skip that one. Um, why do you think some GMs, as we hear stories all about all the time, why do you think they have difficulty doing just what you said about sticking to the board and taking the best available player? I think, um, that probably happens because it's impossible for a GM to not think about his team needs. You would think that a team's board is set up to be centered around their team needs, but that's probably why, uh, without having worked for a team and, and, spoken at length on draft night or right after draft night to GMs. It's kind of hard for me to answer that question. Uh, next question at number 19, your latest mock, you have the Washington taking a left tackle. Do you think they could go quarterback? And if they don't at 19, do you see them taking a quarterback in the second round? Like Kyle Trask? Uh, I haven't really given them in my mocks offensive tackle. Um, mostly gone wide receiver and I have not picked quarterback because that's kind of like a uh, dead zone for quarterbacks. I think the top four guys are in their own tier. and I'm way lower on Mac Jones. I don't think if you're a Washington football team fan that you're super excited about Mac Jones at number 19 overall. Uh, I already outlined the offensive tackles if they do want to go in that direction. And I certainly think they do need a left tackle. Uh, they have Morgan Moses, who is one of the better veteran right tackles in the league. Um, but so any of the offensive tackles I already brought up, I just have a feeling that Ron Rivera um, is going to bring in some veteran to that organization to see if they can get over the hump and maybe win a game or two in the playoffs with that defense. I think adding playmakers opposite Terry McLaurin is more important than anything else. Elijah Moore would make a lot of sense. Uh, I'm not as high on Kadarius Tony. He's kind of been a trendy pick there for them. Um, but that's kind of what I think the Washington football team should do. Uh, inside the top 20 there with that pick number 19. I know you've talked about Gregory Newsom. This is the next question and how you think he's going in the first round. What do you think the range is for him? And what do you like about his game? Um, I actually just finalized my grade for Greg Newsom. I it was late getting Northwestern film. Uh, so I didn't want to put anything out there about him, but until I watched him at length, what I like about his film is that uh, he's very long, he's fluid and he's fast. He does not look like most Northwestern offensive or prospects that they're usually fundamentally sound guys, but aren't crazy athletes. They're, you know, one, two, three star recruits. Um, their coach, Pat Fitzgerald does an amazing job. I think he's the best football coach in the entire country. Maybe not the best recruiter. Maybe he is a good recruiter to even get three stars there at Northwestern, but every year that team seems to overachieve immensely. Um, I think Gregory Newsom will go somewhere from the late first to the mid second. Um, he played a lot of off coverage and the competition was not great except that Ohio state game. Didn't really see him like play guys who were going to be in the NFL really. But I like the fact that he plays the ball in the air. 
very aggressively and has that plant and drive skills from playing that off coverage. So I think with so many more teams playing zone, like around 65% of the time teams are in some type of zone coverage and having the length and having the speed to be that outside corner. I think that's the appeal with Greg Newsome. Um, the question, if he'll slide to Cleveland at 26. Yeah, definitely. I think um, he could be there at 26. Daniel Jeremiah thinks he is probably going to go earlier than that. I think that would be a little risky. Um, and then there was a question about Asante Samuel Jr., some of the Florida State prospects. Yeah, I already talked about Asante Samuel. So did the other guys, Janarius Robinson, the edge rusher. Um, freaky dude, like 6'5", 260, crazy long wingspan. You see the athleticism on film. He looks like a pass-catching tight end running, chasing from the backside. Pass rushing moves are really non-existent. Um, for the most part, and he wins purely with athleticism. But I'd be fine fourth, fifth round, just taking a flyer on him and hoping that your defensive line coach can kind of coach him up. Um, trying to think, oh, Hamza Nasirildin, the safety. I was a little disappointed with his film because he looks like he could be this next Derwin James. He's like 6'3", 225. Um, I don't know how quickly he recognizes what's going on around him, but there were some pretty good plays in the box on outside runs where you see the athleticism and the length that work in his favor, probably second or third round, just because from a physical perspective, he's what teams really want in their, you know, modern day safety linebacker type. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else that's really on the radar. Marvin Wilson, huge downturn in his career. He'll probably still get drafted just because in 2018, he was really good and early on in 2019. But I think there were some weight issues. He didn't finish the season. Um, I, I didn't see it even on film when he was on the field. Looked uh, more of like a, a run plugger than someone that had a lot of pass rushing moves that could disrupt the quarterback like he showed earlier in his career at Florida State. Uh, next question, if Denver doesn't go corner at number nine, who are some of the other guys they could select there? Uh, I don't know if this means another corner or – oh, yeah, if they don't go corner. Um, Denver, it's all about quarterback. I mean, I, I was a big fan of Drew Locke. I don't think he's in the best scenario with Pat Shermer and obviously losing Cortland Sutton super early did not help his development last season, but he hasn't played up to my standard of him coming out of Missouri. So quarterback could certainly be in play. If Trey Lance is there, if Justin Fields is the guy who falls, I would be fine. I would actually like them picking that spot because obviously, uh, that's the most valuable position on the field and you're picking in the top 10. Uh, depending on what they do with Von Miller. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if they don't pick up that team option and he is set free edge rusher would, would make a lot of sense. That could be the spot where the first edge rusher goes off the board. Could he pay Azizel Jullari, who actually gives me some Von Miller vibes. Uh, Jalen Phillips, potentially that might be a little high for him, especially coming off those concussions early in his career at UCLA. Um, but probably edge rusher, maybe, um, I don't think they need a playmaker. They don't, their offensive line improved last season. So probably somewhere on the defensive side, maybe that could be like Micah Parsons. That could be Zayvon Collins. That could be Joker uh, at that linebacker spot, but probably edge rusher if they don't go corner. Next question, assuming Garoppolo uh, stays with the 49ers and they don't take a quarterback at 12, but want to back him up at 43 with the quarterback who would logically still be on the board. Uh, I'll just be quick with this. I think Kellen Mann would make the most sense. He ran a very traditional pro-style offense, like truly traditional, classic pro-style offense there under Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. I think 
Kyle Shanahan would really like Kellen Mond. He's kind of a pocket guy, but can move a little bit. And a little sneak peek, I have a seven-round mock draft coming out on Friday, and I did have Kellen Mond going in the third round to the San Francisco 49ers. Whether they keep Jimmy Garoppolo or not, I think that would make sense. Next question, you touched on the Patriots quarterback options earlier, but they do have quite a few other needs as well. What are some other early-round prospects? Day one. Uh, that they could draft. I think J.C. Horn, just with the South Carolina connection to Stephon Gilmore, the man coverage ability. We know Bill Belichick still loves running press man um, and and having those corners who can excel in that area. I think J.C. Horn would make sense for them at 15. Maybe if they trade back, um, that could be still an option for them. So corner, especially that we've heard some of the rumors that maybe they could trade Stephon Gilmore. He's over 30 now. Corner makes sense. Edge rusher, a lot of the edge rushers I already outlined um, would make sense too. I mean, Chase Winovich is kind of came on a little bit in year two, but I think that's a glaring need for them. They do need wide receiver, but I don't think Bill Belichick is going to pick a wide receiver in the first round. He does not have a good track record doing so. Uh, I think he'd much rather have someone like Jacoby Myers that's, un- that's undrafted or gets picked later in the draft uh, to kind of fill out that wide receiver room. But it really got to just see what they do at the quarterback spot so they can really indicate, are they trying to like win a Super Bowl next year or are they starting like a rebuilding process that they did not have to go into for 20 years when they had Tom Brady? Um, You are, so he got another question um, about an outlier taking Slater over Sewell. uh, But do you think that Sewell has the most upside? I'm just going to say, yeah, I think Sewell has the most upside of any offensive lineman in this draft class. Uh, And that's really it. I I think he's the best offensive tackle. Again, I don't think he is this once in literally a lifetime prospect because there are some technical flaws to his game. But yes, in terms of upside, he's super young. If you you iron out some of the wrinkles, then we're talking about someone that potentially could be a Hall of Fame type player. What is your best case scenario in the first two rounds of the draft for the Titans? I think they absolutely need more edge rush. I think they should be looking about trading up uh, for Aziz Ojulari or Quiddy Pay or Jalen Phillips if he's there, um, or just stay put and hope one of those guys falls. That's a huge need for them. Jadavian Clowney, that didn't necessarily work out. Their second rounder from 2018, Harold Landry, has been a good player. He has not been a great player. Um, so I think they need to go defense, 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 defense. We will see what happens with Corey Davis, their free agent wide receiver. Um, they could go wide receiver at some point. You know, they have a superstar borderline superstar in in AJ Brown. You like what you have on the offensive line, of course. Um, but I think the first round and second round edge rusher and corner for the Titans, I already outlined some of the corners and some of the edge rushers. Um, next question in your latest mock, you have the saints picking Mac Jones, um, is it because of Mac Jones, a player or something he provides specifically, or is the current situation the best quarterback available? I've had Mac Jones to the Saints for a while. I don't know if he's going to last that long, but I just think it would be perfect. Sean Payton wants a quick strike, short passing game type of system that will eventually take some deep shots that they've kind of been missing over the last few years as Drew Brees' arm has kind of deteriorated uh, late in his Hall of Fame career. I think it would just be a perfect fit, and it just makes sense value-wise. Grading Mac Jones, I think he's around the 28th best player, even factoring in position addition. 
into this draft class. You mentioned earlier how important GPS tracking is this season, uh, which I'll skip that question because I didn't say that earlier. I guess you must have said that at, at, at some point. Um, next question with Urban, where did that question go? There's a question about Urban Meyer, but it looks like it got cut off. Oh, here we go. With Urban Meyer in Jacksonville, he's assembled the front office and coaching staff that has a lot of people who are recently in college. How much do you think that can help him with the evaluation process, considering how different this year is? That's a good question, and there's a good thought behind it, but we've seen a lot of head coaches that have come from the college ranks and have brought their assistants, and there's like, oh, Chip Kelly, he's going to know all about college, and I don't necessarily think that will be the reason if Urban Meyer succeeds in Jacksonville, that it's because he had a lot of guys that were just coaching college players and then they have a bunch of draft picks this year. I think it's because they have a ton of money, the most cap space of any team. They're going to have Trevor Lawrence. They already have LaVisca Chenault. They got a gem undrafted in James Robinson at the running back spot. Uh, They have DJ Chark, who is a very good outside wide receiver. Uh, Josh Allen at defensive end has been very good in his first two seasons. Even their first rounder last year, Caleb on chase on one of their first or one of their two first round picks over the last five games, he had 19 pressures. He had like 10, the first 11 games of the year. So he really turns it on down the stretch. And I think CJ Henderson will have a better sophomore season than what he had as a rookie. So I don't think it'll be because of a collegiate style um, front office and coaching staff. It's just because the situation is good. And I think Urban Meyer is a pretty good coach. Next question. You've talked about the few times about the sort of irregularities of the last year and how it's affected certain kids or prospects. What's the kind of class of player, kind of player who's going to be hurt most by the process? It's going to be the small school guys. It's going to be the guys that were invited to the combine that no one really knew that they were on the radar until they saw them on the invite list. And then they test really well. And then they're all of a sudden third or fourth rounders or fifth or sixth rounders. That's who I think it's going to hurt more than anyone else. Uh, Just a question that just says Oklahoma state running back Chuba Hubbard. I think um, it's kind of sad because with him, because Chuba Hubbard was like had second or third round buzz. He comes back to Oklahoma state and then like, didn't have that great of a season. Uh, He's pretty linear. He, for being kind of a home run hitter that tries to hit a home run um, on every play, he does have pretty good power for being kind of slender too. But in terms of make you miss, I don't really think it's there. I think he'll probably get picked um, middle to late portions of the draft because he just doesn't have that make you miss ability. But, and this is, again, goes back to no combine, but pro days. If he runs something crazy fast at his pro day, then I think we could maybe uh, hear him go a little bit earlier. Minnesota quarter, Benjamin St. Juice. Uh, yeah, he sh- really played well at the senior bowl during the week of practices and in the game. Uh, and he's a little bit of a throwback because he's tall. He's got long arms. He's going to you know be able to match up well with your taller outside receivers. Is he crazy twitchy? No, but I think he is pretty athletic, smooth hips, pretty fluid athlete. Um, so if there is a six, one, six, two outside receiver, who's not the, the most agile, I think St. Juice will be able to, um, uh, stick with him third, fourth round would not surprise me with him. Iowa offensive tackle Alaric Jackson. Um, so weird watching his film over the summer or, or in 2019, I was like, this guy's going to be the next like super hyped Iowa prospect because he's playing left tackle, opposite Tristan Wirfs and he looks similar, like big, 
very strong, good balance. I don't think he played as well in 2020 after deciding to return. He probably could have been like a mid-round pick. I think at this point, probably a little later. Um, he's a little bit slow-footed. I, he's not Tristan Wirfs as an athlete. We probably would have seen that at, at the uh, Combine. We'll see it at the Iowa Pro Day, how he tests. Um, but he's someone that I really liked. And then in that final season, it's kind of a red flag when in their last year in college, um, they're not necessarily playing their best football. A few more questions here. I'll try to speed through these. Oregon slot corner, Javon Holland. Uh, didn't like his film as much either watching him during this pre-draft process. I want him as a free safety, middle of the field. Let him find the football, be instinctive. As a slot corner, I think he doesn't have the athleticism to stay there in the NFL. That's where Oregon played him in 2019. He had five interceptions in 2018 as a freshman, as a true free safety. Uh, I just think with his lack of size and that he's like an above average athlete, not a great athlete to drop down into the slot. I want to keep him at uh, free safety once he gets to the NFL. Why is Javante Williams a little bit of a late riser in this process? I don't, I don't know if he's a late riser. I think people watching North Carolina this past season, a team that had a lot of hype with those wide receivers and Sam Howell. And then, oh yeah, the running backs were pretty good. We're all about Javante Williams. He is very powerful. To me, what I wrote in my scouting, uh, in my scouting report for him was that he kind of changes his style on some runs. He's like a slasher that would be great in a, a zone scheme. Other times he'll lower his head and he will run you over. And then other times he has good speed down the field. So, and can make you miss in space or in tight quarters, good vision. Um, and for the Steelers picking at 24, do you think there's value uh, at the running back spot? No, I don't. I don't think you should pick a running back at number 24 overall. At 17, if you're the Raiders, would you be more comfortable taking Christian Darasaw or Christian Barmore? If you take Darasaw, would you be okay moving him to the right side? Uh, well, that's interesting because now we know that the Raiders uh, traded Trent Brown back to the Patriots who's playing right tackle. Um, I would pick Darasaw hands down. I think Christian Barmore is a little bit too hot and cold for me. He's like this three technique at like six, five, three, 10. It's going to be hard for him to get up and under those squatty guards at the next level, but he does have good hands. He is powerful, good athlete coming out of Alabama. I think Darasaw helps your offense. Uh, obviously he plays offense. He helps Derek Carr. Um, and I think he's the second best offensive tackle in this class. Um, Another question, obviously the Jags are going to take Trevor Lawrence or their other needs. I already kind of answered that. Uh, they got to, or actually maybe I didn't. They got to go offensive tackle. I know they just franchise tagged um, Cam Robinson, but he's not good. I, I mean, yeah, it's nice to have a veteran presence, but he's not a good veteran presence. I mean, maybe his presence in the locker room is good, but on the field, he's not going to protect Trevor Lawrence necessarily any better than a rookie would. Offensive tackle, they could use another playmaker, maybe a tight end, um, and then try to fill out their defense with linebacker next to Miles Jack. Um, they certainly, you know, safety can make a lot of sense after trading Rodney Harrison last season. So I think it'll be a lot of defense and offensive line for the Jaguars early in the draft. Um, next question. I wanted to get back to the Eagles. You mentioned at number six, Pitts or a potential receiver. I think in a lot of ways, Jeffrey said this in the transition. Uh, 37 is just as important. Um, they need a corner. How about a couple of names at number 37 overall? I already mentioned some of the corners, but it was a while ago. 
um, for the Eagles. And they, yeah, I mean, in a lot of mock drafts and in my seven rounder, I have them taking some corners. Um, Aaron Robinson from UCF can play in the slot or outside. To go down a little further, Eric Stokes from Georgia played opposite Tyson Campbell, played inside outside, uh, very instinctive. I love how he plays the football. He's long too and physical um, and can run. Uh, Afetu Melifanu from Syracuse. I think any of those names would make sense for them at number 37 overall. How outlandish would you consider the possibility of the Dolphins taking a quarterback at number three? And how realistic would you consider it? Also, what is your scouting report on Isaiah Wilson when he came out last year? And is he someone who is salvageable? Daniel Jeremiah said, I will start with the last part. I liked Isaiah Wilson. I did not have him someone that should go in the first round. I believe, let me get to that first. So actually, let me pull this up. And and I, I purposely didn't want to have anything particularly, which I guess I can't, but uh, ready because I don't think Daniel Jeremiah knows these questions and he goes off the top two. I had, I believe Isaiah Wilson, like in the back part of my second round. So like, I I didn't adore him as a prospect, but I liked how well he moved at such a behemoth size. He needed to get better in pass protection, was already a bulldozer in the run game, but it does seem like with all like the leading the team with the Titans and partying without a mask on and a lot of issues during his rookie season. Maybe it was a problem with a coach or his position coach or a GM or a teammate or whatever it was. Um, his head's got to be in the game because he did have some technical flaws in pass protection that he needed to get better on. Speed rushers gave him some problems, um, inside moves, even though I, I, I think at, at how big he was like six, eight two forty, that he could, um, slide pretty well in his kick slide and back to the inside. So I think he's salvageable. Do I think he's going to become the next Jonathan Ogden? No, but I think that was a smart decision for the dolphins. Um, their head coach, Brian Flores is from the same high school as Isaiah Wilson. They've known each other for a long time. If that's the connection that Isaiah Wilson needs to tap into all of his potential, I think that is, was a very smart trade uh, for the Miami Dolphins and a pretty bad one for the Tennessee Titans. So back to the quarterback stuff, I 100% do not think it is outlandish for the Dolphins to consider a quarterback at number three overall. You've listened to Matt and I on this podcast say in the past, I, I think the Dolphins should consider a quarterback, strongly consider, um, because Tua did not really show really any legitimate flashes, maybe in that Arizona Cardinals game. Um, but beyond that, he looked like someone that was way behind in terms of his athleticism, reading coverages, and then having the arm strength to fit the ball through tight windows. Uh, and if you're the Dolphins, you're picking at number three overall. Like, pick the most important position. And I mean, that's what most teams do when they're picking that high. I don't think it will happen, though. I find it, or I think it is very extremely unlikely that it happens. They've all been all about tank for Tua for at least a year, year and a half. Uh, and they only gave Tua Tungabailo like nine games to play, and they're going to say, "You here's a full offseason with you as a starter. No worries. Let's see what you got. But they should consider it because it's a good quarterback class, and the last thing this Dolphins team will want is to have this great defense and great corners and a lot of blitzing, um, up improving offensive line, a low-key, pretty good receiver group, and then Tua's holding them back. And maybe they make the playoffs, but they lose in the first round because Tua's holding them back when they would have had Justin Fields 
or Zach Wilson or Trey Lance, they could have gone a little bit further. I mean, I guess I don't think Trey Lance would have would come in right away and, and be better than Tua, but I think they should consider it, but they probably won't. Um, next question. I know you touched on corners. Uh, you touched on some of the second-tier guys, J.C. Horn and Greg Newsom. Assuming neither guy is there at 26 for the Browns, is there another guy that could be a first-round option or has all that kind of dried up at that point? Um, at 26 for the Browns, I think they should go edge first. I said that in a, a previous answer. Um, I think picking Asante Samuel to say, Hey, we are ready to deal with separators in our division, Deontay Johnson, um, everything that the Cincinnati Bengals are likely to do. Um, I guess really in, in their division, they don't have a ton of, um, elite wide receivers at this point, but just in the AFC to deal with Tyree kill, deal with Stefan Diggs, um, those teams in the AFC that they want to eventually be better than. And that's the goal to, to topple the bills and to topple the chiefs. I would pick Asante Samuel and I would be fine with it. I think his, his instincts and his athleticism, um, are first round caliber. I don't care that he's not six, one two twenty. I don't want a corner that big anymore. Anyway. Um, another question we talked about Kyle Pitts an hour and a half ago, uh, and I wanted some follow-ups. I don't know how much blocking he did at Florida, but how do you evaluate him as a blocker? Um, he actually is pretty willing, and they use him as an H-back and in line a lot more than you would expect. I mean, if you're just watching NFL Network and you see a highlight package of Kyle Pitts, it's him running routes, catching touchdowns, and running those routes from the slot. A lot of times they used him as a blocker, and at 6'6", like 240, that's a frame that he could add five to 10 pounds and, and be completely fine, not lose any of his athleticism or his speed in theory, um, and will help him as a blocker. He's pretty assertive, uses his hands pretty well um, in space because he's such a good athlete. If he is um, kind of that backside blocker, he will find a linebacker in most cases. Now, some of the better defensive ends that he saw on the outside got the best of him, but He's not so bad as a blocker that you can never put him out there. I think the team that picks him inside the top 10 will probably use him as a wide receiver more than anything else. Question about the 49ers. We're almost, we have two more pages left, um, which I know you're loving all of this anyway, but I just don't want it to be crazy long. Uh, if you're John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan, and the team, can you afford to pass up a QB in the first round? Good question. I think... In this draft, where you are positioned, yes. If Trey Lance is there at 12, no. Because Trey Lance is the perfect quarterback prospect to land with Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and the 49ers in that system. But if you're sitting there at 12 and the top four quarterbacks are gone, who are you picking? Mac Jones? Uh, Kyle Trask? Uh, Kellen Mond? Uh, not at number 12. So I think they could afford to do that. Um, I want to have a conversation with you and Zayvon Collins, I know you touched on him earlier, um, which I did. Looking at him, I'm curious how you position the edge rushers in this class. You still say there's a lot of question marks. You're waiting on the data, whether it's measurables or just guys not playing. Um, pivoting that same question to Zayvon, what question marks do you have about him? Because when I see his measurables, they speak for themselves, and his film looks really good. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, he is a first-round prospect to me, um, and I can, I believe, pull up. What I have written for him, he's really good in all three phases. Like he 
very comfortable in coverage, had a bunch of interceptions last year. Um, he moves well for his size. I, I don't know if he's like the twitchiest. He's not um, Tremaine Edmonds in terms of being this tall, really built linebacker that's like can change directions in an instant. Um, but he's pretty fluid. Like changing directions isn't like difficult for him. He's not stiff. I think um, at times he can get stuck to blocks occasionally. But, I mean, that's all really nitpicking. I think he can, like I wrote at the end, Collins can be a star in the NFL because of his size, fluidity, smarts, and coverage prowess. Like, as a blitzer, and they used him in the A-gap and around the edge, he can be really good. Uh, There's not a lot to um, dislike about his game. Like, I wrote, not insanely sudden, but not stiff. Moves very well for his size. Deceptive speed. He's a long strider. So his range is impressive. Like I, I think Zayvon Collins is going to be a star relatively early in the NFL. I just hope that the team that drafts him just allows him to do all three things, to play the run, to blitz, to use him on the edge and use him in coverage. Um, do you still see line? Do you see linebackers grow into this, into instincts? Or is that something that, or is that something you don't have it? It won't develop. I think you kind of have to have it when you get to the NFL, when you you're how quickly you read your keys, you understand, Oh, that's a play that I saw on film. So the, it's going to be a fake reverse. That's, I think you have to have it once you get to the NFL. Um, a few more questions. I just saw that you had Gregory Rousseau going to the giants. I didn't uh, Daniel Jeremiah did the giants do decide to take a player, not wide receiver at 11. Who would you think would be available to them in the third or the fourth round that would be wide receiver? That's a good question. I I've, I think I've mocked wide receiver or Kyle Pitts to the Giants in like every mock draft that I've had. Maybe Micah Parsons a few times, just because we know that um, Dave Gettleman loves those second or those defensive front seven people. Uh, yeah, I mean the wide receiver class is pretty loaded. I think, um, and that's kind of been the case the last couple of years. I think that will continue to be the case. If Rondale Moore is still sitting there in the second round and he will be someone that I think some teams will have him in like the top 15 of their overall prospects. And some teams will have him as like a fourth rounder because of all the injuries and the size. Um, I love Elijah Moore from Ole Miss slot corner played a lot, uh, was always getting the football thrown his way, creating separation, good down the field, Terrace Marshall from LSU. I think that's a player that Dave Gettleman will like because he's big and we know from his past in Carolina, and they drafted Calvin Benjamin. They traded up for Devin Funches in 2015 that he likes those bigger bodied wide receivers. Um, but with Terrace Marshall, he gives you speed too. He's truly a fast wide receiver. Um, if Kadarius Tony somehow were to still be there in the second round, I think that would be a great pick. Um, a, a few other ones that are a little bit off the radar, Josh Palmer from Tennessee. I think he does everything well. He played on the outside, pretty good releases deceptive speed down the field, good in contested catch situations. Uh, Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan. He's a little bit of an older prospect, but in terms of suddenness and long speed, he will definitely give any team that drafts him that. And then maybe not as much off the radar, Tylen Wallace from Oklahoma State. He kind of reminds me of Darius Slayton, who's been very good uh, for the Giants early in his career. Kind of a linear guy, but is very fast and plays the football tracks it amazingly down the field has a big vertical and just will find the football. Uh, like I wrote has NBA like leaping ability. And I think he would make a lot of sense if they want to 
add more speed for Daniel Jones. Um, you have Jeremiah Awusu koromoa slotted to Jacksonville in your latest mock. How do you feel he can be utilized defensively since he's so multifaceted? I think he's my number, I believe, nine overall player. Like I, I think he is going to be an all pro by like his second year in the NFL, especially if he lands or he needs to land with the right defensive coordinator. Let him play in the slot. Let him play uh, free safety sometimes. Let him play linebacker. He is that athletic. Line him up on tight end. Line him up on running backs. Let him sink in zone and plant and drive on the football. Uh, yeah, I mean, how he can be utilized any way possible because he is that athletic, that sudden, and that explosive of a, I'm not even going to call him a linebacker, a second-level defender. I don't know if the Jaguars necessarily are going to pick him in the first round, though. Uh, a few more questions. I got, like I keep thinking that I'm done, and then there's like another page. Um, you've spoken about the Eagles and your Jalen Hurts evaluation, but if you were in Howie – Roseman's seat would you go with Hertz this year or would you look for a quarterback in this draft I would pick a quarterback if Justin Fields was there I would pick him Trey Lance would give me a little bit more of a pause because I think you're like at a similar stage with both of your quarterbacks then Jalen Hurts and Trey Lance both need more seasoning more time uh, to become <clears throat> the player that they're going to be at the NFL level if Justin Fields is there at six I do not hesitate, and I pick Justin Fields. He's more ready to play than Jalen Hurts. He is a better passer. He has a higher upside. He has a higher floor than Jalen Hurts. I wanted to ask you about Michigan edge rusher Quiddy Pay. You mentioned him a couple times. Obviously, you said he's going to test off the charts. What did you see from him on tape? And I wanted to ask about Nico Collins. Did him opting out hurt or help his stock? Quiddy is my number two edge rusher behind Aziz Ojulari, but I will not be surprised if he goes ahead of Aziz Ojulari because he's listed at like 6'4", 270, 275. And I'm going to say it again. I've said it 50 times. He was number one on Bruce Feldman's freak list before the college football season, the most athletic player in college based on Bruce Feldman's sources. Um, and if you know Bruce Feldman, he's been around forever, was with Fox. Now he's with the athletic, super well-sourced at the collegiate level. So, yeah, I think athletically at that size, you're like blown away because he is so uh, capable of changing directions, bursting off the line of scrimmage, acceleration, closing speed to the quarterback. And watching his film in 2019 compared to 2020, Pay is um, better using his hands. Is he great using his hands? No. But he showed, okay, he has two or three pass rushing moves that he can be somewhat effective with. And he's going to be just a force against the run given his size. Nico Collins, um, he probably hurt his stock a little bit because uh, he already looked like someone that, and it's weird, I, I'll always remember this, that both Michigan wide receivers last year, Nico Collins and Donovan Peoples-Jones. Donovan Peoples-Jones looked like the wide receiver who should have stayed for his senior season. Nico Collins was making contested catch after contested catch uh, was a load to bring to the turf. He looked like the guy that was ready to go to the NFL. He decides to come back to Michigan, but then opts out. Um, I think he probably hurt his stock a little because I think he would have just been dominant in the big 10 this season. But we saw at the senior bowl, like a legitimate, like six, three and a half, uh, 220 pounds. He has some wiggle to his game. He can create just enough separation to win on the vertical route tree. And we know that he is a rebounder. So I think third or fourth round for Nico Collins, Quiddy Pay, probably a top 20 pick. Last question. I promise I've gotten to the end of the transcript. 
to harp back on the Jalen Hurts situation with the Eagles. Man, there's a lot of Eagles reporters got questions in this. And I know you have an affinity for Pitts, but in terms of Pitts, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, is there one player on the board that can maybe bring out the most in Hurts? Um, Daniel Jeremiah said Kyle Pitts. And I said earlier that getting him a security blanket, I think, would make sense. But in terms of this specific question, who could bring the most out in Jalen Hurts? Uh, I think it's Jalen Waddle, someone who can consistently get open and can turn a high percentage five-yard throw into a 30-yard touchdown. Uh, I think, and someone that he can hand the football to on a jet sweep, um, that he can throw the ball up to down the field and can be pretty sure that Jalen Waddle is going to leap and catch the football because he's so good in those contested catch situations, despite being 5'10". I think Jalen Hurts or Jalen Waddle is the best wide receiver in this class, creates the most separation, the most explosive. He could get the most out of Jalen Hurts. All right, that was, let's see, we are hour and 20 minutes in. Apparently, Daniel Jeremiah went a little bit longer. There was a, like two questions, I think, that I did not answer. Um, but hopefully that was fun for you. It's always fun for me to do that. I need to get a drink of water. And we will uh, come back next week with the conclusion of the quarterback conversation series with Trevor Lawrence. And we're going to do the same thing we did with Zach Wilson, Matt Collar, and myself. We're not going to just heap praise on Trevor Lawrence for 45 minutes. We are going to talk about what developments could occur that will lead to Trevor Lawrence and maybe not being this transcendent quarterback at the next level. All right. I'm Chris Trapasso. That's all I have for today. Thank you for listening to the prospect podcast.